morning, Mosaic Church. If we've never met, my name is Brady, and I'm very thankful to get to be here this morning. Um, the, the Word of God just continues to astound me over and over and over. Even when you reach passages that seem obvious or there's no deeper meaning, it's just amazing what God's Spirit can do um, through the pen or quill from someone who wrote 2,000 years ago and still pierce your heart today. Isn't it incredible? It's amazing to me. Uh, So if you are new, we're in a book called what? Titus. Titus. You probably just maybe read it. Uh, Titus. Uh, It's actually a letter that was written by an early church planning missionary named Paul. Paul. Yes. And it's written to Titus, that was an easy one. That was a gimme. That was like the questions in church where Jesus is the answer. Okay, but, but here, Titus is the recipient. Okay, and what do we know about Titus? Uh, is Titus a brand new Christian? No, he's not. Titus has been following Jesus for a long time. He was a disciple of Paul, and Paul trusts him deeply. I don't know if, if, if Timothy was Paul's right-hand man and Titus was his left-hand man. I'm not really sure, but they were up there, right? Timothy and Titus were two people uh, that Paul cared deeply about. Paul only loved people whose name began with a T. Uh, and just poured into them because he knew that T's were the way to go. So if your name begins with a T, way to go. You are blessed by God. Thank your parents uh, afterwards. Now, it's important that we understand some context, and we've been looking at this for the last couple weeks, uh, but before we jump into this. So I brought a map. So for all of us who love Dora the Explorer, I brought a map. Uh, this will be helpful. Now, this is a map of basically the Roman Empire. Now, there, it goes further north and it goes uh, further east, but these were some major parts of the Roman Empire. And here were a number of important cities in the Roman Empire. And these different cities had access to different goods. It wasn't like today where you can go to the grocery store and you can get whatever spice that you want. You can get whatever wheat that you want, whatever uh, you know, type of grain or flour or fruit or vegetable. It's just all there. It's, you, you think that we, we, we have it all here. Now, America is pretty blessed. We do have a number of different crops here. But in that day and age, if you wanted a certain type of crop, if you wanted a certain type of good, it would have to be imported. And so th- this, this, you know, bluish teal area in the middle, does anyone know what this is? The Mediterranean Sea. Yes, it's water. Yeah. So the Mediterranean Sea was the place, it was the thoroughfare which ships would go through and transport goods to other locations. Now, if you look at the map and you look at, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say Tarshish over here, if you want to know where Jonah was headed, uh, that's where he was headed, Spain, just in case, you know, you, you didn't know. But if you're going from, let's say, Antioch and you were moving stuff to Tarshish, or if you're going from Rome, or really Alexandria, Egypt, and, and transporting up to Rome, there might be an island, you know, sort of in the middle that you might stop by. What island might you stop by? What? How did you know? Yes, Crete. It's right in the middle. And there were a number of major ports in Crete that ships would go through on their way to other cities. And this was very important because Crete in and of itself didn't have a lot of power, um, wasn't super important, but it had a lot of influence. This tiny little island without a lot of power was so influential 
because of the shipping routes that if you had a friend or a frenemy that was a liar, you would call them a Cretan. Yeah. So like think, think right now, you've got a friend that's a liar, or maybe it's a family member, maybe it's someone sitting next to you. Think about that person. And then what you would call them is you would call them a Cretan. The word itself for the person. So think about it, right? People refer to us as Americans. Could you imagine if America or American was, was a, a, a synonym, uh, which is also my favorite flavor, if, if it was a synonym for liar, right? Like that's what was going on with Crete. So imagine you're Paul now and you are an entrepreneurial guy and you want to spread the kingdom of God as, as far and wide as possible. Crete is a very strategic location because Crete has lots of influence. And instead of influencing people negatively by being, you know, liars, underhanded, by having cities that had a reputation for being dangerous, uh, you know, sexually immoral and all kind of stuff going on the island, Paul says, here's the way that I want you to live so that the gospel spreads all over the known world. And he begins uh, by talking about how he is an apostle, one sent from a God who does not lie, in contrast to the reputation of the Cretans. Then he begins to paint a picture for what should leaders look like in the church. And they should be number one of all men of moral character, right? The elders need to be men of high moral character, which is in direct contrast to our culture and Cretans. But our culture, we think a lot about talent, don't we? In fact, talent oftentimes trumps everything. If someone is gifted, then we give them a pass for a lot of things. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Character is the most important thing. Talent comes second. Gifting comes second. Make sure character is up top. And then he contrasts them, uh, the leaders of the church, and the way that they're supposed to have, the, the type of character they're supposed to have with the false teachers that had come into the churches all throughout the cities of the island and corrupted them. Now, if you have a Bible and you would like to open it, go ahead and open it to the book of Titus. If you have one of those, those Bible journals that's got Timothy and Titus in it, open it to Titus chapter 2. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to the Bible and you're going through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, all right? So you're at Titus, and let's just read this passage, chapter 2, 1 through 10, together. And then we're going to kind of open it up. It says, but as for you, obviously to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 
They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, there's a lot in there. So what's going on? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my work for you. This, these are the notes that, that I worked on. Um, and this is kind of the way that I looked at the passage. Now, there are a number of important connections. If you are willing to take out a pen and highlight and underline and square and circle, there's some things that will be really helpful to know what's going on in this passage. So the first thing, it says, but. What kind of word is but? It's a conjunction, right? And it does what? It contrasts two things. So it's important to remember, when you see that word, you need to go back. The last thing that Paul said was, these false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. This is so important for understanding this entire bit right here. They say with their mouth, I know God. I know Jesus. I love God. I love Jesus. But they deny him, not with what they say, but with what they, with what they do. Right? They say one thing, but they live a completely different way. Paul says they deny him with their works, with what they do. And so he says now, instead, but in contrast to what they do, here's what you're supposed to do, Titus, as the leader um, of these churches. But you teach what accords or goes well with what makes sense with sound doctrine. This word sound is actually a word, word for healthy. Uh, in, in most cases, except for in these pastoral epistles, when Paul uses this word sound, it always means healthy. It's a picture of life giving and life reproducing, right? Sound doctrine. This word doctrine means instruction, life giving instruction. Titus. In contrast to the false teachers who say one thing and go out and live a different way, you teach what makes sense or what accords or goes well with life-giving instruction, the life-giving instruction of God. And then he begins to give a ton of different behavioral things. And he has a few different categories. And all these I marked in blue, right? He has five different categories of people. And then he's got these reasons. I, in yellow, I put together the reasoning why Paul wants Titus to teach these type of things, right? Teach it so that the word of God may not be reviled. Teach what, it, what goes well with the life giving instruction of God so that an opponent may ha- be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us, which Paul can in turn say differently about the false teachers, right? And do this, teach what accords with sound doctrine so that in everything they, the followers of Jesus, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is why Paul says, teach this way, teach these things. And what accords is in orange, which goes with all these other orange words. In fact, I could have highlighted this almost this entire thing in orange because it's all about the behavior we are called to display that makes sense with the things that we say. I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but man, extra bonus points, right? The things that we do need to coincide with, they need to accord with the way that we live. When we talk about God, we need to live in such a way that actually displays the way that God is. His heart, his character, his life, 
in contrast to the Cretans, whose number one god was Zeus, who was a liar and underhanded and manipulative, and they displayed his character. Now we are called instead to display the character of our God, what accords with sound doctrine, life-giving teaching of God. Now, there's a lot of behaviors that Paul lists here. It is important for us to think about something because Paul hasn't really unpacked the gospel much in this letter yet. And you think, do I need to behave before I belong and before I believe? That's not the way the gospel works. But, but remember, who's Paul writing to? Is he a brand new Christian? Is he a leader? Has he been doing this for a long time? So Paul knows. If you look at Paul's other letters, the ones that he writes to the churches, right? To people who may be younger uh, in the faith. Uh, for instance, Ephesians, there are six chapters and the first three are about the gospel, about what God has done. And now in light of what God has done, now you do. In Romans 16 chapters, the first 11 are about what God has done. Now, here's what you do. Here's how you respond. This is the way that the gospel works. God moves first. God has done all of this incredible work, right? He was the creator, he's the sustainer, and he came in flesh in Jesus. He lived the life that we all humans were supposed to live in obedience to God. And then he died the death that we deserved because we didn't live the life that we were supposed to. And in order that we could be reconciled with God, Jesus gave his life on our behalf. He rose to new life. We get his righteousness. He forgives us, right? God moves first. And then now we, in light of that, or as Paul would say in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, all the things that God has done in the gospel, now we, and here's where Paul is in this letter. He's in the, in view of God's mercy, now we, But he doesn't say it in this letter because he's writing to someone who's mature in the faith, who's a pastor of pastors, so he already knows. Paul didn't have to re-explain it for Titus. He was Paul's disciple. So now let's look at these behaviors. And I actually, I put them all up in the list for us so we can kind of see them. Um, So there's a lot of behaviors here. And there are a few different categories of people. So there are a number of things that are really helpful to point out as you continue in your studies. First of all is there were twice Paul says, likewise. It could be really easy for us to think, oh, this, this list under older men is what older men are supposed to do and no one else. And this list under older women, it's what they're supposed to do and nobody else. This list under younger women, it's what they're supposed to do and nobody else. That's not the type of thing Paul is doing here in this writing. Paul is saying all of these things are examples of the way that someone in their own context should display the beauties of the gospel. And that's what's important. Listen to this. It's all about what someone might do in their context. So there are a number of different contexts that we have in this life. We have an age. uh, We have a gender. We have a race. We have a socioeconomic status. We have all of these different things. And in our world, as we're trying to achieve the goals of our world, our culture, there are things that categorize us and limit us, right? right? You might be in a category of, of age or gender or race or socioeconomic status, status that limits you as you try to achieve things in this world, right? As you want to gain influence, as you want to gain power, as you want to gain wealth. Those things, those categories will limit you, right? 
And you could have, a, a, you could be in all these categories in a way that is less limited. And that can be unbelievably frustrating. It can be incredibly difficult and heart-wrenching when you're trying to break through the ceiling, right? And you can't because you have been limited. And here's what Paul does, and I love it. It is beautiful. Paul says, in light of eternity, your context is no longer limiting. In light of eternity, live in your context in such a way that you display the gospel, that you adorn the gospel so that people are transformed. Use your context to display God's beauty. And we all have a context. And so now in light of eternity, our context rather than limiting is an opportunity. Paul says, take the context you're in. And, and in our world, it's, it's very different than it was then. These contexts were like defined by law, right? I know in our society, we have these contexts and they can be pretty well defined. But by law, these people were ranked differently and had different levels of opportunity. And so Paul is saying, don't you understand that if you live in your context, reflecting the lifestyle of Jesus, you will be able to do the opposite of what has happened in Crete is you'll be able to spread all over the known world the beauties of our God, our Savior, our Lord. And so he has all these likewises in there. He's saying, okay, older men be like this. Women, yeah, in the same way, just like all these things also do these things. And older men, likewise, right? And younger men and younger women, likewise, bond, slave, likewise. So it's important to understand it in that context. Another thing that is super helpful, as he's talking to the older women, he talks about teaching and training. And when he talks about training, he says, train the younger women. This is crucial. This is crucial. In context of older and men and women, when you retire, as far as Jesus is concerned, you're not done. We need you. In fact, we cannot fully display the beauties of God's church without you. Please do not leave us behind. The way that we, a behavior change happens from a brain perspective, from a right brain relational perspective is we look at our identity group. These are the people that we identify most closely with and we watch them behave and then we know how to act in those similar situations. So what we need is godly older men and older women showing us how do you act in this situation? How do you react in this situation? How do you speak to these type of people? How do you speak in this situation? Because we cannot learn from a brain perspective any other way. And Paul says, hey, make sure that the older men and the older women don't check out. Make sure that, the, and, and from our perspective, they used to honor the older men and women way more than we do. From our perspective, man, don't reject them. Honor them. Embrace what they have to offer as they pour this, themselves out. Older men and older women, don't check out. Continue to train and develop and disciple because we need you. Without you, we will flounder. So Mosaic Church, if you consider yourself an older man or woman, I don't know. I love the category is flexible. I don't know whether you feel that way about yourself or not. If you consider yourself an older man or woman, please, we need you. 
disciple younger men, disciple younger women, train younger men, train younger women. And you really see this play out in the list that Paul gives when he gets to the younger men. So if you look at this long list for older men, this long list for older women, this really long list for younger women, how many things are under young, young, young men? One thing. I just imagine Paul writing, he's thinking about all these things that the older men can you know, accomplish as they live out the gospel of Jesus and the older women, all the things that they can attend to and younger women, all the things that they might embrace. And he gets to the younger men, he's like, oh goodness, if you can get self-control, I'm gonna be impressed. I don't think you can handle one other thing. I mean, think about a younger man in your mind and think about how self-controlled he is. Mm-hmm. Younger men, be self-controlled. Please work hard at that. If you get that, man, you're now in the older man category and you've got other things that you can begin to work on, okay? Okay, so Paul has a very realistic perspective on humanity. When he's telling the older women to train the younger women, there's a couple things that stick out that, that is important for us to talk about. And he says one thing is they should work at home, okay? What we could easily conclude is what Paul is saying is all women can only ever work at home. It would be easy if we just read that to conclude that's what Paul is saying. So here's what we're going to do. Let's do a Bible quiz, okay? These are the ways that you can answer. Raise a hand if you say this is for women and keep your hands down if you say this is for men, okay? What does this mean? for women. What does this mean? Men. Okay. So I'm going to just read a few things that the Bible commends men and or women to do. And you have to guess, is this a teaching for men or for women? First one, work with your hands. Is this women or men? Come on, be bold. Okay. So we're saying some both, a lot of men and and a few women. Okay. Get up early and provide for your family. We've got a few more women, still a lot of men, okay? Um, evaluate property and purchase it. Okay, got some women, a lot of men, okay? Uh, plant vineyards. Is this a guy thing or a girl thing? Plant vineyards. Plant vineyards. That would be like grapes and, and such. Not the wrath kind, but the, the kind that tastes good. Um, clothe yourself with strength and make your arms strong. Got some women, men, Okay. Um, take care of the poor. Got a lot of boasts on that one, okay? Uh, buy and sell from the merchants. Just some women, some men, okay? Think about your household and don't be lazy. Oh, this is this women. No, all the men are like, yeah, yeah, wives, don't be lazy. Stop being lazy. As I, as I read the paper, if I was, I don't know, much older than I am, because do we even have papers anymore? Here's the deal. Every single one of those comes from Proverbs 31 about the, uh, the, the woman, the wife, that it's hard to find. These are the commendations. All of those that I just read were for a woman. See, what happens so often is we take our cultural context and the way that we in our culture do gender stereotypes and we superimpose those on the Bible often. And we need to be really careful when we do that. There are distinctions in scripture for men and women, but we need to make sure that we're working off the right ones, okay? So when Paul says to these younger women to be working at home, 
He's not saying that all women have to do that for forever. It's okay that in our day and age, we've got CEOs and COOs and CFOs that are women. That's not a bad thing. In fact, in a lot of ways, that's a really good thing. What Paul is doing is context. So in their context, in Crete, in the Roman Empire, younger women, first of all, were just assumed to be married. Okay, There was not a gigantic population of single women in Crete which Paul's teaching in Corinth is different because there were bigger populations of single people. And so he gives an entire chapter, chapter seven, about the beauties of singleness. But here he's doing the major categories of people in Crete. And for the younger women, it was assumed that they would be married. And if they were married, they were supposed to, they were expected to work at home. Very few jobs were available for young women. And so Paul is saying, in your context, live your wife life in such a way that displays the gospel. Then he says after this, be submissive to your own husbands. And I know in our context, that can be really difficult. Now he pairs that with the bond slaves, where it says, be submissive to your own masters. And what's Paul doing here? This is one of those times that really sticks out because you wonder why Paul wastes ink on this because... They were required by law. Wives were required by Roman law to be submissive to their husbands. Bond slaves were required by Roman law to be submissive to their masters. So why is Paul saying, do what you have, do what the law is making you do already? Right? It's like him saying, okay, and and don't rob a bank and obey the speed limit which we all already do, right? As followers of Jesus, we all already obey the speed limit. So we're just like, why would you even say that? We already know it. We already live it out. What's the point, right? Here's the point. There are two ways to do what you're supposed to do. You can be like, oh, take out the trash seriously, mom. Oh, it's so hard. I hate taking the trash. It smells so bad. Oh. Oh. Or you can be like, before your mom asks, hey, there's some trash I can take out. Let me, let me go do that. Let me bless my mom. Let me care for my dad. Let me care for my family and do that and honor them and then not brag about it on social media later, right? Right there, right, there are two ways to live in the context you are in. You can, oh. fine. Or you can, in response to God's mercy, knowing all of the grace he's given you, out of the love he is filling your heart with for the people you're around, you can joyfully do the things that you're expected to do. And there's a difference in the reaction. Now there's a video I wanna show you. I think demonstrates this very well. There was a group of people that decided to try and transform uh, a, a subway stairway. And, and, and you may have seen this before, but, but check it out.
incredible? You can have a stairway and an escalator, or you can have a stairway and an escalator. It's, it's completely different. It's the same, but it's different. In the same way, you can live out the expectations that society has on you in a way where it's just fine, or it displays the beauty of the transformation that God has worked in your heart. It can be in response to God's mercy for God's glory out of love for the people that you have in your life. And when you do that, it's different. Uh, a couple years ago, I spent a couple months on TikTok, and it was, it was a dark time, but there were these videos that I loved and they were, uh, they were called, um, I understood the assignment. And the idea behind them is they would show videos of just people doing normal tasks that normal people would do, but they did them next level. Like so incredible. Like you'd have a guy who was, who was tossing pizza dough and, 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 you know, I don't know if you've ever seen someone toss pizza dough. First of all, just tossing pizza dough in general is just seems super difficult to me. Just toss a pizza dough. But then he takes it and he throws it up like 25 feet in the air and it comes back down and he catches it. And then he's tossing it behind his back and under his leg. And it's just super impressive, right? It's just next level. You got someone who's supposed to be cleaning up after some people at, at, at a table and the way that they're just going so fast and the way they're being super creative, it's brilliant. You have these people doing construction and the way that they paint or the way they pour concrete concrete, or the way that they are using a forklift, it's just brilliant and it blows your mind, right? You can do things in a way that's, eh, I've got to do it. It's fine. I'll just do enough to get by. Or you can do it with the spark of the divine inside of you in such a way that people look at it and they say, what's going on? Why would you do this in joy? This is a difficult thing that society expects you to do. This is a frustrating thing. This is annoying. This is oppressive. Why would you live in this way? Paul says, take the context that you're in and transform it radically from the inside out. Paul's not into slavery. He does not think slavery is a good idea. But the way that Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is trying to transform the slavery of his day is by slaves living in a way that is so radically different that their masters become transformed from the inside out. And then they don't want to treat them like that anymore. Use the context God has given you. Now, as soon as we begin to talk behavior, it can get a little bit, I don't know, a little bit dicey in Christianity. Because we can, what we learn oftentimes is that the delight of the Father happens after we change our behavior. Right? You get praise from your parents when you get a good grade. Everybody celebrates you when you make the team or get the part, right? Your boss gives you a raise when you perform well. See, oftentimes in our culture, we get praise and acceptance and delight after we perform admirably. And I think what is so helpful for me is to think about December 27th, 2007. Isn't it helpful for you guys to think about that? No. It's not? Well, it's about to be. December 27th, 2007, you know what important thing happened on that day? My wife liked it, so she put a ring on it, okay? January 27, 2007, I got married. Now, January 26, 2007, I was single. And I live like a single guy, 
right? And I could, I'm just going to take you through the house. Like, think about the kitchen, right? As a single guy, I live like a single guy in the kitchen because everything that I utilized was disposable, right? I didn't have plates. I didn't have uh, pots and pans. Uh, I, I definitely only used the microwave, right? If you couldn't microwave it, if it didn't happen in a second and I couldn't throw it away afterwards, I didn't use it. It's just the way I did it because that's how single guys live, right? And then in the bathroom, right? When you, when you go to the bathroom, what you would do is you would go to, to Sam's or Costco and you'd get the giant 36 roll toilet paper. And when you got it, you wouldn't take it out of the package. You just put it on the back of the toilet. So anytime you needed a toilet roll, it was right there. You got it. You can use it, put it back, right? Works. That's how single guys live. After a single guy gets out of the shower, he dries off with a towel and he hangs the towel wherever he wants. On the door, on the doorknob, he could hang it on the counter. He could hang it on the floor. It doesn't matter. A single guy can hang the towel wherever he wants. It doesn't matter. When a single guy goes to bed, and this is the way that I roll, and it's not the same for everybody, but I learned early on by my parents, I mean, through pain and, you know, fear of death, uh, that I would make my bed, okay? You had to make your bed. I mean, you, you had to make your bed. So I made my bed, and I made it legit, right? I made it so perfect and tight that you could, you know, balance a quarter on it. It was amazing, but I didn't want to remake it. So what I did was I got a second comforter and I would, I would, I would hide it under my bed. Then I would get on top of the first comforter that's made perfectly. Then I'd take the second comforter and I'd sleep in between the comforters. And then I never had to make my bed. I'd just get up and I'd throw the other comforter under my bed. It was amazing because that's how single guys lived. And as a single guy, I, I, I don't know, I, I was, I had some amount of argumentative skills. And as a single guy, I won lots of arguments, right? Now, now, that was January 26, 2007. January 27, 2007, I became husband. Now, do husbands live like that? No, no they do not. Nay, <laughs> husbands do not. Husbands, they register for the good dishes. They register for silverware. They register for all kind of knives, which I don't know why you can't just use the same knife, but apparently it's good enough to cut steak, but not bread, right? I mean, it's just impossible. It's about, there's no way you can cut bread or, or you know, uh, tomatoes. It's, it's, it's steak only right? You got to register for all those knives. You got to register for the pots and pans. You begin to use all these amazing appliances like a blender and a mixer, which aren't those the same thing? I don't know. Uh, Why not? I don't know. But you use them separately because they're for different things. And you use the oven and you use the stove because that's how married guys live. And a married guy, when he gets toilet paper, he can save on toilet paper by getting a lot of them, but he has to get high quality, three ply, no less, right? Because married guys, husbands, don't use two-ply. They use three-ply and with a little lotion in there. And that's the way they do it. But when, when, a, when a husband gets the toilet paper and brings it home, he puts all of them in the closet. He takes one roll out and he puts it on that thing that springs out and you, you lose it all the time, but puts on that over the top. Right? Can I get amen? Husbands live with the toilet paper coming over the top. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're single, okay? <laughs> and a husband, when he gets out of the shower and dries off of the towel, he hangs the towel on the towel rack. And then a husband, when he goes to bed, he has to have two kinds of sheets. He has to have the fitted one that's impossible to fold. I mean, can take years to fold that thing. I still don't understand it. I've watched many YouTube tutorials. I don't get it. And then a flat sheet. And then a husband, when he goes to bed, he pulls down the flat sheet and he slides in between the two because husbands are dirty and they shed uh, skin and they shed hair and, and you, want, you want to be able to wash those. Comforters are difficult to wash. 
And a husband, when he has an argument, does he win it? Nay, nay, no. Husbands don't win arguments. Husbands lose arguments. It took me a long time to understand that. So here's the deal. January 26, 2007, I was single. I lived like a single guy. January 27th, became married. January 28th, do I automatically live like a married guy? Like a husband? No, no, I still lived many, many of those ways still. It took a long time for me to understand why am I trying to win this argument? It doesn't work, right? It took me a long time to, to realize when I try and fight about another plant that we're gonna have in our house, it's not, it's, it's gonna be there. It's already written in stone in the Lamb's Book of Life, so I might as well just go with it, right? Now, 16 and a half years later, I live much more like a husband than I did on January 28, 2007. Here's the question. Am I more of a husband today than I was on January 28, 2007? Nope. I'm not one ounce more husband than I was 16 and a half years ago. Even though my behavior has changed radically, I'm no more a husband. Because on January 27, 2007, a guy who was pastoring over our wedding, declared me husband by the authority vested in him by God in the state of Missouri. And I became husband. And since then, as my love has grown for my wife, as my heart has deepened for her heart, as my desire to bless her, encourage her, strengthen her, care for her, as I've gotten to know her hopes and her dreams and her desires, my behavior has begun to change in response to what is already true about me. When you become a follower of Jesus, immediately your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you become a follower of Jesus, immediately you are forgiven of your sins as far as the east is the west. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are immediately a child of God. You are a saint. You are a kingdom of priests, right? It's already done. Your identity is set. But as we continue to live in response to what God has already done, our behavior changes because God is at work in us, both to will and to work for our good pleasure. And what we do as we partner with God in that is we work at abiding. Jesus said, abide in me and fruit will happen. The fruit of the spirit is produced as we abide. As my heart for my wife has deepened, my behavior has changed. Although sometimes I can just will it to do the right thing. But isn't it so much better when I get joy to love my wife, to serve my wife, to care for my wife? It's different. It's like stairs with and without a piano. It's like now I understand the assignment so much better than I did January 28, 2007. And it looks different and it impacts people differently. This is what it's like for followers of Jesus as we grow in the life that we're called to display. And here's the key. Will you show us that last slide? We looked at the reasons. Paul said, teach what accords with sound doctrine or life-giving instruction so that the word of God is not reviled, Opponents are put to shame. There's nothing evil to say about us. And fourthly, and this sums it all up, that we would adorn the doctrine or the instruction of God our Savior in everything. 
for my wife's birthday uh, this year, I did something that I've never done before. I, I got her jewelry. Like she has always wanted jewelry. I've never gotten her jewelry before because I'm terrified to buy jewelry because I know that I'm terrible at buying jewelry. I'm just not good at picking it out. But I decided to, you know, take a leap of faith and I went uh, and, I, and I got her this necklace. And what was so important to me as I was getting her this necklace was to make sure that I got something that didn't distract from who she was, but fit well and accentuated the beauty that was already present, right? My wife is beautiful and I didn't want something to distract from her beauty. I wanted something that set well with her beauty. So I got her this little necklace. And then on her birthday, I learned that I am not good at buying jewelry. We got to go on a second date uh, to to return it and exchange it, something better. But that was the point, right? That she would get something that she would enjoy, that would adorn her well. And sometimes I have gifts and I have weaknesses, and that was a weakness. Zach explained it to me this way. Zach, who leads worship for us, he talked about when you go to the Mona Lisa, and and you go, sorry, the, the Louvre, uh, the Loire, I don't know how you say it. When you go to that, that, that you know, place that has art in France and you go to see the Mona Lisa, who here could tell me what the frame looks like around the Mona Lisa? It's, I feel like it's gold. That's what I got. That's, that's, that's right. That's the correct answer is I'm not sure because the point is not the frame. It's the Mona Lisa, right? When we live in such a way that adorns the life-giving instruction of God, we point to God. We point to the gospel. We point to Jesus, right? This is the way that we live so that God gets glory, so that people look at God and are in awe of God. They look at Jesus and are in awe of Jesus, not me and my behavior, but our behavior needs to fit well around the gospel in such a way that it fits, but doesn't distract from and points to. This is what Paul is saying, that we have the opportunity to live lives in our context in such a way that adorns the gospel, that adorns God's life-giving teaching, that displays his glory. Can you believe that this is what we get to do? What Paul is saying is don't let your context your age, your sex, your socioeconomic status, don't let those things be a hindrance. Instead, see them as opportunities for eternity. See them as opportunities to display God's beauty in eternity. Because even though they might limit you here and now, and and they might, they don't limit you eternally because you have the spirit of God inside you who can empower you to be a part of a church that is taking down the gates of hell. I have a buddy who understood the assignment. He worked at guest relations at Hollywood Studios. And, and I don't know how much you know about, um, you know, the parks in Florida, but they're hot. And when things are hot and humid, people get angry very easily. And guest relations is the place where you go when you're angry. It's just, it's just what happens. You just know, like, oh, I'm feeling angry. I should go to guest relations. I'll feel better because they'll give me something free because I deserve it. <laughs> and so all day long, you spend your day with people who are angry at you and want to get free stuff from you. And here's what he would do. He would get up in the morning 
and he would put on his costume. We might call it a uniform, but at Disney it's called a costume. And as he put on his costume, he would recite, he had memorized, and he would recite Ephesians 6, 6 about the armor of God. As he put on his shorts and he put on his shirt, as he put on his name tag, as he put on his shoes, he would recite the armor of God because he realized that the assignment from God was not just to go to work, to give people free stuff so they won't be mad. The assignment was that you would be someone who would display the beauties of God as an adorning necklace. And then he would get to work 45 minutes early and he would sit in his car and he would pray for each one of his fellow cast members that he would work with that day. He would just spend a long time praying for each one of them so that when he went to work, his attitude would be right, his heart would be right, so that he could adorn the gospel of God and display like a frame around the Mona Lisa, something that is fitting, but is pointing to and not distracting from the main event, which is Jesus. And you know what happened? Like the piano on the stairs, God used him to transform that guest relations uh, building and those cast members there. And so many of them became a part of our church. It was incredible to see what God can do through someone who gets the assignment. And you can do this in your home. You can do this as a mom. You can do this as a dad. You can do this as a kid. You can do this as a husband, as a wife, as a single person. You can do this with your coworkers at work. You can do this as a grandparent. There is no context that you are limited from displaying the gospel as an adornment that gives glory to God and it impacts eternity. That's how incredible our God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so, 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 so much that you are this incredible God, that you did what you did so that we could have life, so that we could be your children, so that we could be set free, so that we could be citizens of your kingdom. Help us by the power of your spirit to abide with you in such a way that you produce the fruit that makes sense, that adorns your gospel. Thank you that you have unlimited us from our context that in our culture can be oppressive that you gave us, even in those oppressive contexts, the ability to impact eternity by your power, by your love. Help us to walk in that. Help us to live lives that make sense in light of your mercy. We need you, God. We need you. Thank you that we don't have to earn your good pleasure, that we already have it. Thank you that we already have it, that you pre-delight in us. You're awesome. Guys, we respond in this song. Help us to really embrace the beauty that you accept us as we are, where you find us, and at the same time that your love is too good to leave us where we are, that you are gonna bring to completion what you started, that you are gonna help us to live out the beauties of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.